welcome to the Meta Spiritualist Meta Spiritual Talk. I'm your host, Marla, and through today's journey, we'll be discussing finding compassion with Stephanie Williams. Stephanie is a non traditional truth seeker and has taken key components of all faith practices and tailored them to suit her best and highest self in seeking truth and knowledge. We'd like to coin the term a gumbo seeker for the purpose of this episode. Stephanie is also the executive editor for Black Voice News and the IE Voice located in Southern California. We hope that you enjoy today's conversation. Take a listen. The Metaspiritualist is guided by the creator of the universe through prayer, meditation, and sound healing. All right. So, hey, Stephanie, how are you? I'm great. I'm excited to be here this morning. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I'm really excited to have you on my podcast. This is, um, you know, we've, we've had a lot of conversations about spirituality. And so I thought that you would be great to come on and share a little bit about yourself and your journey. Oh, well, you know, it's been a, a very interesting journey, but I'm, I'm certainly happy to share. Um, so um, tell us a little bit about your journey. Like, how were you raised? Um, what did you believe in um, coming into adulthood or even as a child? Like, what, what influences were around you um, as you were growing up? Well, I grew up uh, Catholic. And back in the old days when the world was young, and I'm not sure if this is still true because I left the church many years ago, but uh, my father was multi-generational Catholic. And so my mother, who was raised Baptist, when when they married, she had to convert or the the church wouldn't sanction the marriage. And as part of that conversion, uh, they also had to sign a document and commit to raise all of their children Catholic. So we were baptized at birth and went right into, you know, Catholic training. Um, And so that was a major spiritual influence I had in my life for the first, I'd say about uh, 10 years. Wow. So they, they actually forced your parents to um, your mother to convert. So it was very patriotic in in a sense of like, whatever the father was, that's what the family had to be. Absolutely. Or it could have been the reverse. Had my mom been Catholic and, and, you know, they wanted to marry, then he would have had, he, it would have been incumbent upon him to convert or the church would not sanction the marriage. So that oh. was just the, the nature of the being at that time. Now that, that may have changed. I haven't followed it, but mm-hmm. you know, the Catholic church is very patriarchal and hierarchical. So, um, you know, that was just the way it had to be. And mm-hmm. believe me, they, they um, definitely made sure that they followed those tenets as far as the children were concerned. Wow. Wow. So um, tell us a little bit about like, when you decided, um, you know, so you grew up Catholic, when did you decide that, you know, the church was something that you wanted to kind of break away from, or what was your awakening moment where you felt like the church wasn't feeding your spirit the way you felt that it should have? You know, I actually had two uh, moments that I consider pivotal. The first was when I lost my dad, uh, and that happened when I was seven years old. And it wasn't until I got a little bit older that I understood he had committed suicide. So Mm. that was uh, kind of really set me, uh, you know, it was kind of like trying to understand all of that. And the Catholic Church 
uh, church's philosophy about people who commit suicide. Mm -hmm. It's like they never uh, would have an opportunity to uh, elevate themselves to heaven, quote unquote, right? Mm -hmm. And so how, you know, how does that, you know, as a child, how do you make sense of that if, you know, all you know is heaven and hell and, and you have, you know, your, your parent who you adore and you're trying to understand the loss and now you're also trying to understand it in this concept of the church. So there was nothing that uh, was offered to me as a child that ever made sense of that. So that was, that was when I really began to say something doesn't quite sit right with me about this. I, you know, as a kid, you don't really understand, you know, all the tenets of that, but you know what doesn't feel right to you. Right. So that was, that was one, one moment. So, so from there, we, we go on, you know, with life and I, I'm, you know, going into my teen years. And, you know, f- from that point on, my mom raised us as a single mom and she was like our pillar, you know, everything. She was our rock. She was everything. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember one day when I was in high school, the phone rang. And I heard my mom just scream this like blood curdling scream, right? Mm-hmm. And she dropped to the floor. So if you have this person who is your whole world, I mean, everything is, you know, she's like the center of your universe and she's your rock and your stability and everything. And you've never seen any weakness or any of that. Then to see that person all of a sudden um, crumble and you're trying to figure out what's going on. Well, mm-hmm. what I learned was that her mother, my grandmother, had had a massive stroke and oh. it just was, you know, she was at death's door. And so, you know, that was my my mom trying mm-hmm. to deal with uh, the, the uh, mortality of, of her own mother, right? right? And so that kind of, you know, kind of put me back in that spiral thinking about my dad, about, well, what does this really mean, you know? And, um, and so you kind of think, you know, again, you're trying to figure out heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. And that's the only idea you have. And put that in, con- in uh, context of time. You say, okay, well, if they die, they'll only be dead for forever. Okay, well, what does forever mean, right? Right. Where does their soul really go? If- <laughs> exactly. And so that kind of set me on this whole journey of trying to understand the concept of time and, you know, what is this idea of heaven and hell and, and all of those things. So uh, that, that in essence, and I, and so I was, I think I was about 16 when that happened. Well, the good news was that my grandmother lived another uh, eight years after that. So she oh, wow. survived it. And even though she was disabled, you know, she survived. So that was a blessing. Yeah. But um but anyway, that that started me on my my spiritual quest. And one of the things I used to always think about is, you know, why do some people search and other people just kind of are born into a faith and they walk that path and they never question, they never waver. Mm-hmm. And and so I used to think, what's wrong with me that I can't just, you know, accept, <laughs> you know, whatever is is being taught and and mm-hmm. and be comfortable with that. So where, where, when you started questioning that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and feeling like, okay, what's wrong with me? Like, why am I so inquisitive about um, things that involve spiritual concern? You know, did you ever, around what age was that for you? Uh, I was around, this was right around the time my grandmother had that stroke. So I was around 16. 
Okay, and, so this was um, about almost 10 years after your father passed right, away. Right, almost 10 years. And, and it was her stroke that triggered that questioning again about my father. And I mm-hmm. also, my older sister had passed. And so even though I was younger and I, and I, I, you know, I didn't really remember her, but that still was in the context of this thought process that I had. Mm-hmm. Like so, what happens to these people, right? So where did you first go to, like, when you started, these questions started arising in you and you mm-hmm. felt, you know, you needed to know more, where was the first turning point? Like, where did you go to find, like, the first answer to just a basic question that you may have had about heaven and hell or, or even God? You know, the first place I went, of course, was to my mom, right? Mm-hmm. And, but I think the questions that I had were kind of beyond her understanding reference or understanding Mm -hmm. so she said well let's go talk to the priest and you know I was kind of like at that point in my life you know I I didn't know what else the priest could tell me that I hadn't already heard after you know being indoctrinated for all those years so I just wasn't open to that I felt like there was something more out there a different kind of answer Mm -hmm. and so um I we had a, we always had a lot of books in our in our house because I had an uncle who worked as a security guard at the main library in downtown LA. Mm-hmm. And you know they you know how they recycle books and they throw them out periodically. How cool is that? <laughs> so he would always bring like boxes and boxes of books, right? Wow. And so I was always an avid reader. And I mean, it was everything from Shakespeare to some of the great philosophers to poets and all of that. So I read a lot, it, all, my, all my sisters did. And so I started, you know, reading what some great thinkers thought about it. And I didn't necessarily understand all of it, but it made me realize that uh, there are other people who have sought and continue to seek answers. So uh, from there, um, I just would read. And uh, I didn't really have anyone to talk to until uh, I think my last year in high school, I started dating dating this guy who was, um, uh, he was also on a, on, a, on a quest, which was kind of interesting. And he introduced me to the writings of Khalil Gibran, um, and so I don't know if you're familiar with that Lebanese poet. But, oh yeah, he's um, a. I, I have the I have the prophet. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, that book is amazing. <laughs> yes, definitely. That's well, one of know, the his most famous writings, actually. Exactly, but he's written so many wonderful probing works, and so um, so that kind of fed me for 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 quite a few years, and then. Um, when I, uh, I think when I was in my mid twenties, by then I was married and had my son and I used to take him to baseball practice. And one of my neighbors who lived down the street had sons the same age. And so we'd be sitting there chatting and he was on a spiritual quest. So it's interesting because they say that when you're seeking people will come into your experience. Right. So you were saying that, um, as you were starting to seek um, your truth, then others started to basically come out of the woodworks mm-hmm. and, and were also on their own, um, search for, for spiritual wisdom and truth. Absolutely. And so, uh, my neighbor, and, and so he and I would talk and 
he told me about the Bodhi tree. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Bodhi tree. It's a bookstore in um, Hollywood, West Hollywood. It's a spiritual, uh, all they carry are books on spirituality uh, uh, from A to Z. You know, any, any aspect of spirituality you want to explore, there's something there. So I used to spend a lot of time there just, you know, looking at things I things that would resonate with me and I'd buy the book and I'd read it. And, um, you know, it, I might go a little further in that direction or another direction. And in the meantime, um, through work, I met this woman. She, she and I had the same um, uh, leadership roles, but in different parts of uh, LA. She was mm-hmm. like out in Ventura County. I was in downtown LA. So we needed to coordinate a lot on our efforts. And she was also a, a seeker. I don't know. One day, I think I was just, we were talking on a conference call and I looked out and I saw this really amazing rainbow, right? And oh. what was really weird was that she could see the other end where she was. She saw the same rainbow. So we started talking about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, she um, introduced me to uh, science of mind, which is another, you know, tr- uh, spiritual tradition, uh-huh. and a, a little different than uh, it, it is. Um, Isn't that by um, Earl? Um, not not Earl Nightingale. Um, science no. of mind is. Um, I, I can't think of the guy, the, the founder's name right now. I, I know but. who you're talking about because I I also have that. Um, I have that book on Kindle. Okay, but I can't. Okay. I can't think of his name right now. <laughs> I I'm gonna say Thur- no, it's not Thurman. Uh, I can't think of his name either. I have to apologize for that. But um, so anyway, I started going to to her church, mm-hmm. and um, and it was really that's when I uh, first was introduced to meditation, and mm-hmm. um, uh, the concept of human beings as beings of light. Got it. Uh, and, and so I started to explore that. And um, anyway, that took me, you know, down that path. And, and at that point, I started to um, try to formulate my own uh, belief system, not it, taking the best of what I had learned so far mm-hmm. that had some resonance with me. So sometimes I, I kind of de- start my conversations, not so much in what I believe, but maybe in what I don't believe Got um, it. in terms of, you know, making it clear. Uh, so I say that I don't believe uh, in heaven and hell in the traditional sense that there's mm-hmm. some place beneath beneath us where bad people go and suffer forever mm-hmm. I, I because that directly contradicts the idea of a loving and forgiving god right absolutely absolutely it's, that's something that i i also um started to i've always questioned that and i remember being a young adult like coming straight out of high school and, and asking that that very question like if God loves us so much, why would he send us to hell? You know, <laughs> like, exactly. I don't understand. And then if, if there is no sin greater than the next and all sins are forgivable, except for blasphemy of the Holy spirit, then why would he, why would he send any of us to hell? Exactly. Exactly. And then, and then the converse of that is 
I don't, you know, can there be a place called heaven where good people go? Because right. that would also be contradictory. Uh, it would say that we have a, we worship a God that is judgmental. And right. yet we're told judge not, right? Exactly. We should be judged. So, so, so I have to kind of put those concepts aside and say that I believe that God dwells within each of us as us individually and collectively. And that to me is my concept of God. Mm-hmm. I believe that we're eternal beings. And I would even say that we're eternal beings of light because science has shown us that, that we emit light, you know, it's a, constantly, it's kind of like a thousand, de- a thousand uh, degrees below what we can see with the human eye, right. but we're glowing beings of light. And so right. if we accept that, you know, we're made of star stuff. And that would also say that we are eternal beings, you know, both spiritually, scientifically, and all of that. And, and so then I say, well, um, you know, why are we here? I -hmm. believe that we're on a path to righteousness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe that um, we have, as, as human beings, that we have two things that we're charged with. One, Jesus told us in the New Testament, I think it was John 13, 14, um, that I give you a new commandment, uh-huh. a new commandment. And it was and very simple that you love one another. Love period. one another. And, and love, it. love is the strongest emotion that we have. Absolutely. And above all else, and, you know, no qualification, right? Mm-hmm. Just love, you know, pure agape love. And then if you look at the teachings of the Dalai Lama, who takes it maybe a level beyond that and mm-hmm. says to us that uh, compassion, you know, he, he put compassion even above love, but I say that you can't have compassion without universal love. I agree Because compassion, compassion makes you live the other person's experience. You understand that that experience Compassion gives you the ability to do that. And if you are truly compassionate and loving in the agape sense of love, then that supersedes everything else. You can get beyond everything else. So I try to hold those two principles, you know, as my, um, my core and everything else supports that, right? Truth, justice, righteousness, harmony, balance, reciprocity, all of that needs to support those two those two things so my next question is about around what age or or time in your in your journey did you um, convert out of catholicism Uh, you know what i kind of really um when my mom when i was in um i think i was in the sixth grade when Mm -hmm. we um my, my mother sold our home, our original home, and, and we she purchased a new home in a different area. And that took us away. It took us, you know, probably an hour away from the church that we were born in, the parish, the mm-hmm. Catholic parish that we were born and raised into. And, and at that point, she also took us out of Catholic school. 
Mm-hmm. And so that to me was a point of liberation. Oh, I, wow. didn't, I didn't stay with, um, uh, we went to church. She, she still, you know, sent us to church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we would go, but, you know, I was kind of, it was, to me, it was just going through the motions, you know, I was, I wasn't invested. I, mm-hmm. I just didn't feel any connection to it. Um, none of us, I, I have one sister that is, is still a pra- practicing Catholic, but uh, I, my other sister didn't. And my, and my brother, we, none of us stayed with the church. Now I, I, I tell you what's kind of funny. I did, um, I never uh, baptized my children Catholic, my two children, but I did start their formative years in Catholic school. Okay. Because I believed it was a good educational foundation. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I never was really pressed by the nuns or the priest with my son uh, about not having him baptized. Mm -hmm. But, when my daughter, who was like eight years, you know, behind him, they were really pressuring me about, you know, why haven't you baptized her? Why didn't, you know, why didn't your son baptize and so forth? So finally, I, I pulled her out like in the second grade, because I don't know at that point, um, historically, what was happening, um, if if their membership was starting to fall because, you know, the Catholic church has been through a lot of changes in recent decades. Oh yeah. So if that was part of the pressure, but I was, I thought, you know what, this is, I'm not going to do this. So yeah, I didn't. I think think that's with any, any church, um, even in the Protestant um, branches of, of Christianity. I, I believe that, you know, it's, it's so interesting to me that, um, Christians. And I, I came to this realization maybe about five or six years ago, I was studying, um, a Bible that a friend recommended that I get. And it was the Septuagint Bible with the Mm. Apocrypha. Yes. Yes. And so as I was reading that, it was like, you know what? Christians work so hard to convert other Christians that there's people out there who are really in a desperate like sense of hopelessness that they don't, they don't even understand why they're existing. Another thing about, um, and, and this is not, you know, I'm not being judgmental, just factual. There's that whole connection between uh, Christianity and colonization, right? How yes. they go in, the church goes in first and they convert the people and mm-hmm. have them give up their own, um, I'm going to say Aboriginal, their, their own, you know, belief systems. Yeah. And, and then, and then come, then the corporate, corporate world comes in behind it. The political world comes in behind it and kind of takes over their, their civilization, their environment and, and, you know, all of that. So mm-hmm. that's also, um, and that's not the faith, but right. that's how it's been used. Right. Yeah, it's, and it's, so, it's used as a form of control. Yes, definitely. The other and, manip- thing that I, and manipulation, and manipulation, control and manipulation. Absolutely. Another, uh, another um, area that I explored as part of my journey is the concept of the sacred feminine. Mm. And because if you look at, um, you know, you know, the history of um, religion, you start with Judaism, uh, Catholicism split off. And then, you know, with Martin Luther, then you had all your different branches of Christianity. Mm-hmm. But all of those are um, 
are uh, patriarchal. Yes. And yet, if you look at your ancient um, spiritual systems, they are all have a strong goddess base, right? Absolutely. There's a balance between the masculine and the feminine. And if you look at um, even, you know, uh, Catholicism, or which was the, you know, the, the foundation of Christianity, that there is, um, you know, the, the, the virgin mother. Yes. That is the sacred feminine, right? But, but she is kind of like a second tiered role. Right. She's and not, she's not at the forefront, even though, even exactly. though uh, the Messiah passed through her womb. <laughs> Absolutely. And so that, to me, that says part of the reason I feel that we're out of balance as a society and as a world is because we killed the sacred feminine in our spiritual system. Mm-hmm. We need both. We need both. You know, we need the masculine and the feminine Mm-hmm. Uh, so we need to understand both sides of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, that it's interesting that you bring that part up because uh, recently um, in my journey, I've, I've really been studying the Bible from a metaphysical perspective mm-hmm. and um, it's like, okay, if, if we're following natural law and mm-hmm. children, you know, babies are born through a mother, then how did we come from a rib? <laughs> Exactly. So it's like that, that question is like now, like, oh my gosh, like mind blown. You yeah, know? absolutely. And, you know, if, even if, if, if to, to that point, if you think about um, where women got demonized from, uh, you know, from a biblical perspective was mm-hmm. in the, in the garden of Eden. Right. Yes. And, and so Eden listening to the serpent and mm-hmm. um, but if you think about the concept of those uh, of the serpent and you study other ancient um, philosophies they tell you that the serpent represents duality right mm-hmm. uh, and that to me was the balance of the of the male and the female you know the, the serpent has uh, is the only is closest to the earth that's one one thing it has two sex organs that's another idea of a balance between male and female Mm -hmm. it sheds its skin which is kind of like a rebirth or a metamorphosis Mm -hmm. so there's a whole lot of very positive that comes from that Mm -hmm. so how it got twisted into this negative idea that they turned it into a negative Mm -hmm. and and made it have a negative connotation in terms of eve um you know, that too, is kind of interesting to me. Yeah. You think yeah. about, you know, other interpretations that are, that are more ancient than what's, you know, how the Bible's been dated. Yeah. So I want to switch gears just briefly. Um, you are an avid writer. Um, you are also the executive editor for a local uh, newspaper, Black Voice News and the IE Voice here in, in Southern California. Um, how do you incorporate your um, your spirituality in your writing, even if you're reporting from a natural um, perspective? You know, that's an interesting question. I don't know that I've really thought um, about it. I think uh, where I feel most freely to express that is in my columns, you mm. know, because 
that I can speak my truth there, mm-hmm. uh, or at least the truth as I see it. And so I try to um, always kind of ground that in, you know, what that means, any topic, what that means in a broader sense of who we are supposed to be as a society, as human beings, mm-hmm. you know, it, both individually and collectively. Uh, from a reporting perspective, uh, because, you know, you have to be so objective and just just, just report the facts, um, I think that maybe how I approach the story is is influenced by that mm-hmm. to an extent, uh, because I always want to look for, um, uh, I, I guess, come from, I don't want to say justice-based, because that's not it. I want to come from a place of, is there something in here that's that can you know, lift people up to a higher level. Can I tell the story in such a way that it'll evoke compassion Mm -hmm. or make people see themselves in this? And, um, and so maybe that's the way that I, I try to um, infuse it. Um, Sometimes it's hard because a lot of stories are, um, you know, people have such different philosophies in terms of how they, if decisions are being made um, from a um, municipal leadership perspective, mm-hmm. um, you know what's right mind and what's right consciousness, right? right. Versus, and, and so, um, but that's the system that we have. And so that's, you know, very challenging at times. You just have to kind of tell it like it is and hope that, and then say, what if it were different? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know what if it were different how would that uh, benefit people or help people so but it's always I always think about it I always think about it mm-hmm. and maybe that's the hardest part of being a reporter I probably do better maybe <laughs> <laughs> just writing uh, you know doing opinion pieces all, all the time that would probably be more comfortable for me yeah, yeah. Well, you're a phenomenal writer and editor, so I, I'm honored to to know you. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank and you, work Marla. with you, too. So thank you. So one of my last questions is, and it, you know, if there's anything you want to share, um, you can stop me. But I wanted to know, um, what do you consider yourself, you know, how people come up with the labels and the titles and stuff like that? Um, in your journey, what do you best feel um, describes you as a spiritual being? Hmm. Oh. And I, I could probably reframe that question if you need me to. Let me see. Um, I would say, uh, I always think about uh, my sisters describe me this way. I, I, I think I describe myself as a as a universal uh, sensitive uh, sensitive and uh, compassionate and loving being that uh, that I, I believe that I'm made of star stuff I mean I, I really truly literally believe that uh-huh, you're and, from the cosmos huh? uh, yeah definitely <laughs> I definitely and I believe that I have a responsibility to not um, not to convert people but mm-hmm. to live my life in such a way that people will say, 
wow, what is it that um, moves her? You know, mm-hmm. what is it that guides her? And, and if they do, I would say compassion and love. I, I often have, you know, what's so interesting about this, I guess the best example I can give you is I believe that part of my role or my mission here is to be of service uh, to people um, in need. And mm-hmm. I've done that quite a bit over the years. And what's so interesting is even within my own family, broader family, uh, people seem to always think people can't or have a hard time just accepting and receiving that someone would do something from from love without expectation. Mm. It's so interesting to me that that is the hardest thing for yeah. people to believe and to accept, right? Yeah. But I believe that if we're truly spiritual beings, that that is what we should do. Um, I'm, I'm following a, a spiritual practice right now. It's a Japanese-based practice called Shumei. And uh, part of their uh, belief is that, you know, our goal should be to make other people happy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that is a way to create heaven on earth. That is, and, and they're totally, you know, not aligned with, I mean, they're a separate spiritual practice from, uh, you know, the, the uh, Dalai Lama, but that's also his philosophy. Right. You know, what is our purpose on earth? It is to make people happy. And how do you make people happy is to uh, serve them in ways that you can. And so that's what I strive to do even more so, you know, now that I'm a, an elder, I believe that that is part of my responsibility. I always say that it's written that in our youth, we live for ourselves. In our middle mm-hmm. years, we live for our children. And in our latter years, we live for the world. And so my philosophy now is to live for the world in every way that I can. And my world is just the universe that I, what I can um, impact that's immediately around me. Mm-hmm. It's like dropping a pebble in a pond, right? Yeah. And then hopefully that uh, reverberates out. Yeah, I want to share something with you. I saw this morning in a spiritual group that I'm in on um, Facebook and someone shared um, a post that says volunteering to incarnate here on earth during this time of illusion, corruption, enslavement, and mind control to help liberate humanity is literally the most gangster thing in the entire universe. You came because (laughs) you came because you knew you had what it takes. And for that, I love you. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. And that's true for all of us, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we just have to not be afraid to own that, not Absolutely. be afraid to, to do what we know we're here to do. So my last question before we close, um, what would be your number one word that you would like to leave as a lasting impression on the world? Compassion. Compassion. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you, Marla. Thank you for this opportunity. You're you really uh, made me explore the inner sanctums of my mind and soul on this issue. Hey, so thank maybe, you for the opportunity. You're welcome. Maybe we'll have to uh, have another conversation and, and delve a little bit deeper. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'd love to. I would love to. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. What a wonderful conversation that we had with Stephanie. Um, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at The Meta Spiritualist. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, the iHeartRadio Music app under the podcast section, as well as Podbean and Listen Notes. Until next time, we hope that you be blessed and highly prosperous. Mm-hmm.